Getting custom manufactured parts can be a difficult task. Some local shops are great, but some require order minimums or just won't pick up the phone if you aren't a large company. That's where Zometry comes in. Zometry is trusted by engineers and designers at NASA, BMW, Bosch, and more. Simply upload the design file you want to be manufactured and boom. In a matter of seconds, you'll get an instant quote and access to dozens of manufacturing processes like CNC machining, sheet cutting and fabrication, 3D printing, injection molding, and more. Plus, you'll have plenty of delivery window options and prices available to suit your budget. Worry less and get the parts you need manufactured with Zometry so you can get back to building. Zometry, where big ideas are built. Not a lot of engineers made me think about those soft skills, but um, it does come in very useful, especially when you're talking up and down the hierarchical chain of a company. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Being an Engineer podcast. Today we're speaking with Tony DiDio, who is a mechanical engineer with over 20 years of experience in operational strategic planning, manufacturing, quality management, supply chain, and team leadership. Tony has held positions throughout his career from consultant to director to VP as he has helped organizations drive improvement. Tony, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to become an engineer in the first place. Uh, you know, originally, I had no visions of becoming an engineer, uh, to be quite honest. I um, had visions of becoming in, going into sales. Uh, and so during my, when I graduated college from Purdue University, I started with Chrysler uh, up, out in Detroit there and started with their sales and service uh, program. Um, unfortunately, in the 2000-2001 time frame, there was a big hiring freeze. The, the automotive market had kind of taken a turn. And we had an internal job board that one of my friends was looking at and saw a a plant vehicle engineering job back in my hometown in Illinois and uh, said, hey, you're an engineer, right? I said, oh, yeah. He said, you should go apply for this. And so out of... Uh, you know, just dumb luck. I, I applied and uh, they brought me in. And so that was my first real foray into, you know, vertically integrated manufacturing at an automotive assembly plant out in uh, Belvedere, Illinois there, uh, which is which is still running today. That's great. So that set the trajectory for where you are now. And maybe you can give us like you know, 60 second overview of some of the things that you've done throughout your career. And then after that, um, talk a, a little bit about how you were able to grow into this leadership position now, because you have kind of a, a pretty high level leadership position. And I think a lot of engineers listening to this would be super interested to hear about, like, what were some of the most influential influential factors that allowed you to to achieve that position? Uh, sure. Um, let's see some of the things that I've done throughout my career. Um, obviously, as an engineer, focused on you know, whenever you're in a in a manufacturing setting, um, you know, quality and cost are are the number two targets. 
Uh, so a lot of my or most of my background has been focused in um, improving quality and reducing cost. Um, and sometimes those go hand in hand. If you've got quality problems that are costing the company money and you go solve those, um, you do both. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cost prevention that was, that was in hand as well. Um, you know, I think as I look back on my career and, and the things that I've done, I never said no to an opportunity. Um, you know, an opportunity knocked or somebody asked, Hey, do you want to be part of this program? Do you want to take this training? Uh, I always said yes. And I thought that as I reflect back, those, those were things that built out a toolkit, I would say, um, whether it be, you know, going through the green belt, black belt programs, um, you know, doing SolidWorks training, going through, you know, the company's, you know, supervision and managerial training programs, uh, conflict resolution, all those things, um, you know, I think you got to be open to, uh, regardless if you want to be or stay in the engineering track or move into the managerial roles. Um, you know, obviously those soft skills and even those technical skills will, you'll keep with you, you know, throughout your lifetime. Um, and I think having those, having a backbone in, in those early years really set you know, me up for success, I would say. Um, not only that, but you start building different relationships with the people that you're going to meet in these these training groups uh, or cohorts. Um, and it does take you out of, I'll say, your comfort zone quite a bit. Uh, you know, beyond that, you know, I you can look at my resume. You know, I, I bounced around industry quite a bit. Um, you know, automotive, DOD, you know, missile defense, heavy industrial, um, and then medical device in life science. Uh, so there's not much that I can't say that I have not seen, um, whether it be soft, you know, it's software all related. Um, you know, there's, there's really nothing that I haven't touched, um, or, or experienced in my, you know, I guess it's going on 24 years now. Um, you know, beyond that, I think getting into a leadership role, uh, you know, I saw other leaders, uh, that I, admired and would try to emulate uh, how they handle their situations themselves, how they manage themselves or different uh, groups and situations. Um, you know, I, I think you learn a lot from that. I think you learn a lot from seeing other people not doing it as well. Uh, and you, you can spot those, I'll say missteps um, or when those opportunities come around, you, you choose the, the better path. Uh, and I think that is, that is something that, you know, as people grow in their career, they, they really need to be conscious of it. They've got uh, books out there on emotional te- emotional intelligence that I've read, I've taken the test, uh, and it does help. So I know, um, you know, not a lot of engineers maybe think about those soft skills on how to deal with those types of situations, but um, it does come in a very, very useful, especially when you're talking up and down the hierarchical chain of a company. Um, you've learned quickly how to respond, discuss different situations, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, so that's, that's been highly beneficial. Now I couldn't agree more in regards to the soft skills. They're, they're really critical. Um, have you ever felt, especially as you've grown into higher and higher leadership positions, have you ever felt a sense of imposter syndrome 
or have you always felt like 100% I got this confident, no problem? I would say a hundred percent of the time it's imposter syndrome. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that's, that's absolutely the case. Um, you know, I, if you're not nervous going into a new situation, you know, maybe, maybe you're not challenging yourself enough. Um, you know, I think the things, yeah, I, again, I've, I've transferred industries and jobs and moved states, um, you know, there's always that, that feeling, but even when you're with a company for say five years, uh, and you take a new role or, you know, again, you're, you're going into the pulling you into a different uncomfortable situation. I think the best thing I've been able to do is ask questions. Um, you know, not be, try not to be the smartest person in the room, even though there's times to speak and, and do that. Um, you know, but, Take a humbler approach and ask questions when you're really trying to figure this this new thing out. Because um, people like that. Um, because then you're more approachable. If you're asking questions, you're not telling somebody what to do, um, and you're and you're just having a discussion. And uh, I think that really helps alleviate the anxiety of the imposter syndrome, which <laughs> you're going to have every day, uh, or at least I do. I guess um, I can find find opportunities to have. Yeah, you and me both. I feel that all the time. Um, and I don't think it's ever something that you get over. Like you said, as long as you're putting yourself into new and challenging roles and positions, you're, you're going to feel that. And maybe that's even a good thing, right? It's a indication that you're stretching yourself and growing. Oh, So you're working at a company called Nanostrings right now. Can you tell us just quick overview? What do you do there? And then um, that's... Uh, I don't know if you would call it medical devices or more like life sciences, biosciences company, but what what kind of trends are you seeing in like the healthcare, medical device, biosciences realm these days? Yeah, I can. So I've, I just started with NanoString a couple months ago. Um, I'm their senior director of manufacturing uh, in their life science company. They focus on life science tools to basically map the genome of the body. Um, it's, it's, pr- I want to say I know everything about it and I don't, uh, but what we do is we make, uh, reagents and instrumentation that go hand in hand that find different bar- biomarkers in proteins or RNA that give researchers the ability to discover more about what's going on in the body to combat things and develop drugs for things like cancer. Uh, and that's the big market right now um, is cancer research. And so it's a research use company. Uh, they are a globally distributed worldwide company. Um, but that's essentially what this particular company does. And I've worked for a company called RareSite prior to this. That was my, my first foray into the biologics Um and I was the VP of operations there. Uh, in between, I was with a company called Magnolia Medical, single-use blood diversion device that uh, was very useful in reducing sepsis misdiagnosis uh, for false positives to almost zero. Um, so a single-use 
gamma and or EO sterilized uh, type device. Um, I guess the trends, the trends that I'm seeing in the field at large are, I can speak to the, to both in, in some regard. There's a lot of outsourcing, a lot of contract manufacturing that occurs. Um, and then on the medical device field specifically, it's all moving toward single use um, due to cost and due to the need not to have to sterilize it uh, in, within the hospital. Uh, it's, there's lead time. It's costly. People don't want to do it. Uh, and the equipment, the capital equipment's expensive. Um, but with that, we've seen large influxes of single-use devices now coming out of the market and it's clogging up the sterilization cycles. Uh, there's really only two companies that do this, Steris and uh, Sterigenics. And there's, they're really at capacity as far as uh, ethylene oxide sterilization and um, shortly gamma. Uh, they're just not building many plants. There's been a lot of regulation with the EPA does not like EO gas, um, which, you know, is that, you know, obviously a value, but the, they're running into very long lead times and, and increased costs on those two fronts. Um, and so there's companies that are trying to figure out, okay, what, how can we better design this device to either not use EO or to use gamma or, or, one or the other. Um, it, these these sites just aren't, they're not large enough and they're not building more of that right now. So, um, and if they are, it's going to take quite a few years to get it up and validated. So that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing. Um, you're also seeing new trends in bedside diagnostics, uh, point of use care. Um, you know, POCUS is a big, is a big term out there. Uh, for point of use care, the bedside not bedside diagnostics. If you can get a, a quick blood draw that can give you information within 10, 15 minutes for directionally correct uh, diagnosis, I, th these are game changers compared to taking a full blood draw, sending it to a lab, and then having to wait, you know, potentially 24, 36 hours, at which time you could get quite quite a bit sicker in that time. Um, and so there's, there's just a lot of interest uh, in those particular, in those particular fields, the point of use care and the, the bedside diagnostics. That's very insightful. A lot of answers that uh, I, I hadn't actually heard before. Um, outsourcing a lot, the point of use care, single use devices. Have you seen a growth in reprocessing companies. I know that's becoming big business in medical devices these days. And if you're seeing a lot more single-use device manufacturing out there, I wonder if there's going to be a correlation with the growth of reprocessing, medical device reprocessing companies. You know, I haven't had a lot of experience in the reprocessing area. Um, so I'll, I'll have to take your word for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think... You know, by and large, the the hospitals, the clinics, they're all under a lot of 
cost constraints right now. Um, the nursing staff, you know, COVID really took its turn with the nursing staff and the help. It it really it it overstressed it the system in total. Um, you know, a lot of people quit. They they have not been getting paid well uh, for many years and. What we started to see at least was a lot of the traveling nurses were coming in um, and and to replace a lot of the attrition that they were facing. And so I don't know if I'm answering or answering your question or, or providing additional commentary on the side, but um, as far as reprocessing, you know, I would have to say that with the changes in the clinic and hospital system, I could see that becoming a, a bigger market just because a lot of these people probably don't know how to do it. Very interesting. Okay. Well, let me um, change direction just a little bit here. Uh, let, let's talk about engineers that you've worked with to date and teams of engineers what what are some of the traits or, or habits or behaviors that you've seen in the best engineers? And then if it's a different answer, in the best engineering teams? In the best, so the best engineers I've worked with are multidisciplined. Um, and what I mean by that is, let's say you want to be the best, you know, research and design or just a designer, um, be it, and I'll just stick to hardware because that's what I'm most familiar with. Um, the best ones I've ever worked with or have seen them design things very well. They cut their teeth in quality and or manufacturing engineering where they were getting, they were solving the problems of poor design. <laughs> and so yeah. when you get that frontline experience and then you get to go do uh, these designs, you carry with you all those trials and tribulations of redesigning that you had to do. Um, and so these designs that they come up with are, are, are much better. They're more cost fit, more cost effective. They, they really take to consideration how are, how are the users? How are the assemblers going to put this on? How are they going to service it? Is this going to cause a quality issue? Is there a stack up issue here? And it's not to say that designers that automatically go in, don't have that in mind, but they also don't have the, I'll say that the scars of having, of having to get yelled at maybe three or four times a, a week uh, from unhappy assemblers or line managers or quality people that need a, a better design to, to satisfy the, the requirements. Yeah. Going along with that, this might be a pretty similar answer, but what are, what are the most valuable technical skills that you see in your engineers and, and are you seeing enough of them these days or do you think that there's there's a dearth of these skills geez i've i think it depends um you know i worked with very well-rounded individuals and i i start to see engineers kind of in two camps of skill set one being and I'll just speak to the medical device um, side of things. Engineers that are really good with documentation and process and technical writing 
and asking questions. And then on the other side of it is the actual design work um, or IQOQP cues or, you know, designing a fixture for assembly. You know, you see that more in when your company does a lot of outsourcing where you have engineers that are just reviewing and approving documentation and doing technical writing versus being, you know, on the front lines. Um, so I've seen that dichotomy a bit um, over the past, you know, 10 years where you've got titled and well-paid engineers, but they're only doing, in my mind, half of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I've seen. And so I think, again, I think it goes back to some earlier comments that some of these engineers really have to consider the experience that they're getting, and then what does it mean to grow? Um, and if you're not going to get that other half of that experience within that company that you're with, you know, you may have to have some introspection on what your next steps are. What I've seen in the companies where I've worked is that the engineers largely want to design new products and do not love doing the documentation. <laughs> Does that jive with your experience? I, I can't say that that's a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a yeah. thing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's, just, that's just the nature of being an engineer. You know? yeah. Nobody wants to do documentation. Um, and that's, but the documentation is the output of the design, right? So... Yeah, that's that's a hard that's a hard yeah. swallow for engineers, but it's a, it's a must swallow. There's a old engineer that I worked with a while back in Houston to say that documentation is the output of engineering. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's it's true. It's just part of what it is to be an engineer. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's it's tough, and you know that it's also tough for engineers that are on the sustaining aspect of that. Right. So, you know, you're not always getting to design the new whiz bank thing. You know, there's still legacy products out there that need to get supported, loved, and, you know, kept on the market. Yeah. And, you know, you've got, you know, some people that really love the sustaining and people that will only want to do the, the research and new things. So I think there's, you know, there's struggles there, I think, with, with a bunch of engineers that, have to either do one or one or both. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me take a very short break here and share with everyone that our company, Pipeline Design and Engineering, develops new and innovative manufacturing processes for complex products, then implements them into manual fixtures or fully automated machines to dramatically reduce production costs and improve production yields for OEMs. And today we're speaking with Tony Didio, Tony, what what are a few of your biggest challenges as an engineering leader? Uh, in recent past, it's when I've had some very competent engineers. Um, you know, quite honestly, some of these engineers, it's it's sometimes hard to keep them motivated. Um, you know, if they're very highly competent and efficient. Uh, it, it can be hard to keep them fed with things that will, will keep them interested and motivated. Um, you know, there's, there's not always money to go do the next generation thing. Um, and I think, 
you know, that's, that's been certainly hard, hard for me. And that's when I, I start to look for other opportunities within the company that they might be able to provide value. Um, and that can take a variety of, of different things. But if that particular person wants to lead a team or become a manager or, um, you know, or maybe just go out in the field and see what the customers are doing, how they're, how are they using our product? Are there features, you know, feedback that we need to bring back that we're not getting otherwise? Um, so I think that's been my personal struggle is there's, there's going to be times that an engineer is going to look around and say, is this it? And it's, it's up to the manager to, to keep them fed and it's going to take some creativity to do that. I've had similar experiences and I think that's a really um, insightful um, piece of information there. I think in maybe certain industries or, or maybe at certain levels of an industry, there's a tendency for some workers to look for excuses to maybe not work, right? To sit back and twiddle their thumbs for a little bit. In my experience, that has not been the case with engineers. They want to be challenged. They want to be really busy. And they, like you said, they start getting bored when they're not busy. And and when they get bored, they're going to start looking for other opportunities. So to keep really talented engineers on your team, you need to keep those challenges coming all the time. What what have been some ways that you've addressed that? You mentioned looking for other places in the company for opportunities. Are there any pro tips or creative solutions that you've hit upon? Uh, pro tips? I, I wouldn't call them pro tips, but uh, you know things that things that I will engage them on is you know I, I will get them involved with just other facets of the of the company. Whether you know so if it's supply chain. Are there due diligence trips that we can put them on? Um, you know, go go on a, an audit with a QA person to a supplier or just go visit the supplier base um, and see what, you know, see if there's anything we can, we can glean from them as far as, you know, our own designs. Um, or maybe there's things that we can do a lead event on. Um, you know, I've I've sent engineers out with clinical staff, you know, to go to hospitals and clinics uh, just to see how our products are are really used in the field and see what kind of struggles they're having. And all those kind of activities, while it's not you know sustained over time, you know, they are sprinkled throughout the year where you know they do look forward to it, they do see value in it. Um, in those potential you know sloughs of of workload. Um, you know, being in operations, like, you know, I can always poke at something and say, Hey, this needs to be cheaper, go design something new. Um, or, Hey, this whole thing isn't great. Go design something new, but sometimes there's just not funds to go, to go do that work. And so, you know, I think my only tip is, you know, pull them out of the engineering box and, and, and get them experience in the other departments. Um, you know, maybe there's QA work or maybe there's some finance work. You know, there's there's always something to round out an engineer. Um, you know, and if they certainly want to be a manager, they're going to have to step out of that comfort zone and, and get experience and, and firsthand experience in other departments. So that's what I would do with them. Yeah, I really like that. We've done similar things where we'll 
all of our work is project work. And so we do a lot of, a lot of quoting uh, on these different projects. And historically, there have just been two or three of us that have done all of the quoting. And more recently, the past six or 12 months, we've started pulling the engineers in to help with all of that quoting. And it's been terrific. Not only does it teach them a new skill, but it lightens the burden for the two or three of us who were doing all of that quoting in the past. So that's been a really great great way to provide engineers with something else, a new challenge, right, to, to learn about. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's probably fun for them for a little while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the key word, right? For a little while, everything, right, is exactly. for a little while. Then you get good at it, and then it gets boring, and then it's on to whatever the, the next thing is. Um, so we talked about some of the challenges that you face as an engineering leader. How about for the medical device industry as a whole? What are some of the biggest challenges that you see facing the medical device industry? You know, we talked about the sterilization uh, bottle, bottlenecks. Um, you know, I think in the macroeconomic and the political environment that we're in, I, I think companies are going to have struggles in the OUS market, especially you know, some of these conflict areas, I'm just going to call them. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, 12 months here. Um, luckily, some most of the things that I'm involved in, we don't have, you know, a lot of OUS componentry, but uh, I think that's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And I hope everything works out, but I think there's going to be some some next level supply chain issues going on. Um, you know, beyond, beyond that, I think, you know, we've got interest rates that have gone through the roof for at least, you know, for people who have been used to it, two, 3% interest rate, you know, the cost of manufacturing, you know, that just gets passed on to the customer. Um, and so that's, that's really hard to keep your, you know, purchase price variance where you want it. Uh, you know, in your gross margin where you need it. So I think those are, there's a lot of macroeconomic and political environment issues that are going on that are going to make it very hard to, for some of these upstarts um, and maybe even some of the, the, the well-seasoned, you know, 50 year companies. Um, yeah. There's, there's, there's going to be trials and tribulations here. I think. Yeah. Belts are getting tighter and tighter. It seems like these days. Well, um, so given that there are some challenges, there are always some challenges, but what's a tool that if it existed would, would help your team perform dramatically better, you know, 10 times better than they do today, whether that's better quality or faster or whatever it might be. And this tool, you know, it's a magic wand kind of thing. So this can go outside the limits of known physics even, but what's What's something that you think if, if, if it existed, if you had it, your team would just be, you know, 10 times more productive, 100 times more productive? You know, I think it, it's, not a, it's not a widget, but it's a system. Uh, there is not an ERP system out there that, I, that I've seen or liked or anybody has seen or liked. They just compromise and then deal with. But, you know, these business processes is what bogs everybody down um you know and it's that administrative work that you know quite honestly 
the engineers don't want to do. And so if we can speed that up, that's amazing. Um, you know, and so if, if I had, if there was a company and I, it doesn't exist today, even though some may claim they have it, but it doesn't work, you know, and a very well integrated ERP, PDM, EQMS, MES system with backbones of Power BI and, you know, AI tools, you know, something that is the Apple interface, I would say, of, you know, a manufacturing company. That would be, that would be amazing. Something that just works and is super easy to use and it easy to set up. And, you know, it's, it, that would be amazing, I think. Um, and so if somebody has designed that, I just haven't seen it. <laughs> that, that does sound incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> the golden, that's the golden egg of yeah. efficiency as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Um, but I think what, what I've seen is companies create something and then they buy other companies or different applications and then none of them really work together. Uh, it's just kind of hodgepodge together and then it's just a marketing uh job to get everybody sold on whatever they kludged together and so that's that's what i think frustrates everybody right now is hey we've got all these things to go do and yet i'm I'm stuck doing four hours of an admin work because these systems are terrible yeah that is frustrating well let's say that you had unlimited resources whether it's time people money whatever what is what's the one thing that you would do for your company that that you think would have the most significant impact on achieving its business goals? Maybe it's the same answer. I would honestly, if I had unlimited resource, time, and money, i I'd start vertically integrated, vertically integrating everything. Um, you know, it's that it's kind of that Toyota model where they they hold their supply chain very close and they have a lot of control over it, but they are able to control all the costs. Mm. there as well um you know if if there's very few companies that do it um but then if you are able to do it and be successful you could also open up a different you know business opportunity to do contract manufacturing for others um so i mean you look at the, the bicycle company giant you know they make really good bikes but they also make everybody else's bikes <laughs> oh not a lot of people know that <laughs> but you know, there's there's a business model there that that I've seen work. Hmm. Great answer. How do you see the medical device industry changing over the next five years? That's a good. It's a good question. I I really don't know. Outside of you know some of the topics that we touched on, um, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, with the political and, and economic environment we're in, but uh, I do see the medical device going more continuing, I'll say, single use, as well as getting into more faster diagnostics. Um, I think the diagnostics is, have come quite a long way, but uh, I, I don't think we're, we're near what it can be yet. And I think that's just going to take investment. Um, so we'll see. I'm excited to see what the future holds in that arena. But uh, it, it's, you know, those are those are million dollar programs that you got to start seed funding. And so I, I just don't see a lot of people doing that right now with the, in the economic situation. Sure. Yeah. 
Well, just one or two more questions and we'll wrap things up here. Specifically within the context of your role as an engineer, what is one thing that frustrates you? And then conversely, what's one thing that brings you joy? Uh, in context of an engineer, you know, I think it, I kind of touched on it with the, with the burden of admin, um, you know, outside of the business processes and things of that nature. You know, I think you're an engineer is always going to be frustrated with, I'll say other engineers. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're buying, you're buying something from some other company. Um, and inevitably, invariably it's going to be, you're going to have problems. You're going to have something wrong. And so you've got one engineer catching another engineer, you know, doing something wrong. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that's just, that just goes with the, the territory of being in business and specifically manufacturing and design. So, you know, those are, those are two that I, I see it every day. Uh, the other thing, honestly, that brings me joy is seeing, you know, people, people getting excited over things they've done well, um, or, or figured out, uh, you know, it's, it's quite something to give somebody a task and then see them figure it out for themselves or, you know, ask the right questions or go seek the information or go, go learn or take a class and, and, and get the job done. And it's, it's, it's pretty awesome to see people grow in that context. Um, not only technically, but, you know, especially on those soft skills that we talked about, you know, I've seen engineers, you know, become very astute business people and they become managers and directors. And it's, it's really awesome to see that, you know, some of those people happen to work for me. Uh, and so it's, that's what brings me joy. That's why I go to work, uh, every day is, you know, it's not necessarily only the company and the fact that they're paying me to do that, but it's, you know, it really is seeing the people grow, um, and start to lead and take charge and, you know, work me out of a job or work me into my next thing. Uh, and so that's, that's what excites me every day. I, I certainly echo that. We have a couple of um, philosophies. We call them our tenets at Pipeline that are hung on a wall. And, and two of them are persistence beats brilliance and uh, be respectfully aggressive. And I was, I was listening to one of our very young engineers the other day on a phone call with a vendor. And it was clear from his side of the conversation that he wasn't getting what he wanted. And and he kept pushing respectfully. You know, he was looking for different avenues. And can I talk with this person there? No, well, what if we did that? And I was just so proud of him, you know, to, to hear the persistence and the the, the respectful aggressiveness that, that he took as he talked with his vendor. It was just really cool uh, seeing the growth, like you said, you know? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to see it. Yeah. All right, Tony. Well, this has been such a terrific conversation. Thank you again for taking some of your time and sharing your your wisdom and insight with the community here at the Being an Engineer podcast. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way. Uh, my last name spelled D-E-D-E-O, and it's um, pretty easy to find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you for having me. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please share the episode. To learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines, and with product design, 
visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening.